Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. The reason I have decided to call this series what I have is because we're going to talk about what God is doing for you, for you this Christmas. You know, a lot of times we think about what, you know, what we need to be doing for everybody else. I want us to kind of personalize this. I want you to be thinking about what God is doing specifically for you. Therefore, have yourself a Merry Christmas. Uh, Phil, uh, Philip uh, Yancey um, talks about Christmas cards and how sometimes what you read in the Christmas cards, the sentiments in there don't necessarily mirror what you see in Scripture. Sometimes the way the Scriptures depict the birth of Christ and the way Christmas cards depict Christmas are two entirely different things, and it prompted him to write this. Inside the cards, stress sunny words like love, goodwill, cheer, happiness, and warmth. It's a fine thing, I suppose, that we honor a sacred holiday with such homey sentiments. And yet, when I turn to the gospel accounts of the first Christmas, I hear a very different tone and sense mainly disruption at work. I would like you to uh, turn with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1, if you have your Bible, I love it when you bring your Bibles to church, hope you would do that, and a pen and maybe a highlighter so you can take a note now and then. Luke chapter 1, verse 5, some of you look that stuff up on your phone, and that's okay too, all right? Not everybody, folks, not everybody's texting when they got their phone out, it's okay, all right? Don't worry about it, even if they are texting, it's okay, don't get mad, it's all right, Brett's not mad. Luke chapter 1, verse 5, and let's see what the early stages of this disruption look like. Luke chapter 1, verse 5, in the time of Herod, king of Judea. Now, there's some things that you need to know before we get going about Herod. Uh, he was somewhat of a puppet king. Uh, the Roman Empire was fully ramped up at this point. It dominated Israel. The people were being taxed into poverty. Many of them had had their land stolen right out from under them. And Herod was basically doing the bidding for Rome in this particular part of the country. In exchange, Herod was getting rich. He was making a lot of money, and consequently he was spending a lot of money, basically on palaces and houses for himself. And he occupied a lot of his time by traveling around to check on the construction of the many palaces and houses that he had built for himself. But he was also known for his brutality. I don't know how much you know about Herod, but he was not... He was not like your uncle fun guy that comes to Christmas with a $10 bill for you, right? When I was a little kid, Uncle Parker used to come. I couldn't wait to see him because he always had 10 bucks for me, right? Like, come over here, I'll give you $10. Um, yeah, I'll take that. But that's not, Uncle Herod wasn't like that. Um, we are told through history that he had two of his brother-in-laws murdered. He had his own wife murdered. He had two of his sons murdered. He was incredibly paranoid and afraid someone was going to overthrow him. At the end of his life, this, is, this will give you some insight into Herod and the way he was wired. At the end of his life, he knew that he was about to, to die. And so as time was drawing close, about five days before he, was, uh, before he actually died, he sent uh, some Roman guards out into the city to arrest some of the citizens in the city. And he had them brought in, he had them arrested and put in jail. And so five days later, he passes away, 
And when he passed away, the instructions were, the day I die, the people that we just arrested, they also get executed. Because he wanted to make sure that when he died, on the day he died, that other people were sad because it was the day he died. That's the kind of guy we're talking about, King Herod. Um, not the uncle you want coming for Christmas, I can promise you that. So when we read what he did in response to the birth of Jesus, it isn't a surprise. Basically what he did is he had every uh, male child two years and under murdered because he had heard about this supposed king that had been born. And that just kind of tells you all you need to know about Herod and his, <clears throat> his brutality, his insecurity, his willingness to do whatever it took to hang on to power. The days of Herod that are mentioned here to the people of Israel who experienced those days, they would have felt like rock bottom. They were dark days, brutal days. For over 400 years, the Hebrew people had been praying. They'd been praying for the coming Messiah, the promised one, the one who would take away all the brutality and all the insecurity of this imposter king. And it just seemed and it felt like to them that God was not listening to their prayers. It felt to them like God was doing anything but listening to what they had to say. It felt to them like a long, dark, silent night of 400 years. Second part of verse 5, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So these are good people is what we're being told. Uh, the, the name Zechariah means faithful. And the name Elizabeth means covenant. Covenant means promise. So when you put these two names together, what you get is faithful promise. I want you to hold on to that for a little bit, okay? That's, that's what those two names put together means. Faithful promise. Verse 7, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. There are certain words in the Bible that just are packed with meaning and, and packed with more explanation and one of those is But but they were childless. There's a lot packed into that little tiny word. In spite of the fact that they both came from a line of people who had served God faithfully, despite the pedigree, despite their obedience to God, they still had no children. And they are now very old. And the hope of them ever having kids for them seems to have passed. They probably hadn't thought about that in a long time. They've just kind of taken that dream and set it to the side. And it's here that it's worth noting that the scriptures don't teach you that when you do good things and you faithfully serve, that you will only receive good things. The, the scriptures do not teach us that. To the contrary, it teaches that even when we're obedient, even when we're faithful, even when we do it all the way we're supposed to do it, the effects of sin and brokenness still are able to find their way to us. They impact us. They impact our lives. We get hurt. Bad things happen. This couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth, had a prayer that they'd been praying for years, a prayer that one day they finally just stopped praying because it just didn't seem possible for them. 
anymore. There was no hope for that dream anymore. And they moved on from that prayer. Who could blame them, really? Why keep torturing yourself? Praying a prayer that God doesn't seem the least bit interested in answering, if he's even listening at all. Add to that the culture that they lived in, a couple that couldn't have kids was considered to have done something to deserve God's punishment. It meant that somehow you were spiritually out of whack, you didn't measure up spiritually, so people just assumed that there was something going on with Elizabeth, she must have done something to incur God's wrath, or maybe it was Zechariah, or maybe it was both of them. But whatever was going on, they'd done something to make God mad. And so you can imagine these two walking around, confused and wondering, what have I done? What am I still doing that God wouldn't bless me the way I want him to bless me? Can you imagine the shame that Elizabeth and Zechariah must have felt? I mean, he's a priest, And the fact that he doesn't have a child somehow implies that he's done something wrong. It must have been incredibly embarrassing for the two of them. We've all had those experiences where we felt like God was distant, silent, absent. We've come to kind of describe that season in life Maybe you're going through that now that you would just describe that it's a dark night of the soul. You ever had that? You ever had a dark night of the soul where it just feels like there's not a lot of hope, not a lot to look forward to? What do you imagine Elizabeth's dark night of the soul felt like? I don't think it's a stretch to imagine that for a season her dark, dark nights were full of shouting and pleading and begging and arguing with God. At some point, it isn't hard to imagine that her nights grew silent and she just gave up and she stopped praying, at least for that. A baby, there's a point where she just quit praying that prayer. And then you think about Zachariah. He had his own questions. Maybe it's my fault. Maybe it's not her. Maybe it's me. Maybe I've done something wrong. See, in that culture... It was not at all uncommon for a man to divorce a woman who could not bear children for him. But Zechariah didn't do that. Why? I don't know that. What I do know is Zechariah and Elizabeth lived up to their names. They were faithful to their promise. Even when it seemed as if all hope was lost, Zechariah and Elizabeth stayed faithful. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Verse 8, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were there praying outside. So what you have is uh, Zechariah is a priest. He goes, you know, ever so often to this place to serve, to the temple to serve, and, and they, they do this thing where they cast lots, and you, once a, once a year they would do this, and if it fell to you that you got privileged to be able to go in and burn incense, once you did that one time, that was it. You didn't do it anymore, ever in your whole life again. You got one shot. And so 
This was the year that it was Zechariah's time. He gets his one shot to go in and burn the incense. And it says that the people came out, they were outside the temple, they had come to worship. And so I don't know exactly what it looked like, but um, I just imagine that some of those people watched Zechariah go in. I wonder if it was kind of a big deal to watch the priest go in and get ready to offer uh, prayers and, and, off, and, and uh, incense at the temple. And one of the prayers, no doubt, that Zechariah was praying as he got inside and started to burn the incense was a prayer that the Messiah would come. The long-expected king. God, please send a warrior king like David to come and conquer our enemies so that we don't have to put up with this Roman government anymore. God, put an end to Rome through this Messiah. Take away our fears. Take all the wrongs and make them right again. And rid this world of this darkness that we see and we feel all around us. That was the prayer that priests had been praying for 400 years. And for at least that long, God had been silent. And the night had been really, really long and dark and quiet. Verse 11, then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. And it's here that we come to realize that our perspective of Christmas time is shaped a lot by Hallmark movies. In fact, sometimes it's more shaped by Hallmark movies and, and Christmas cards than it is by what we read in the scripture. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of angels. Most of the time when television or cartoon depicts an angel for us, they depict it as uh, some kind of cherub or um, you know, maybe it's depicted in some sort of caricature, kind of a making fun type of thing. Sometimes it's depicted as, as something that's soft or weak. Take a look at this. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't really get the sense that anybody in here is gripped with fear right now, right? As you look upon that, I don't see anybody heading for the door. That doesn't really inspire fear in me. But when you start reading this story, that's not the picture of angels that you get when you read this story. In Scripture, we see people in terror falling down in the presence of angels. There's going to be a recurring theme throughout the sermons in this series in our time together of angels appearing and people being afraid. There is a lot of fear going on in the days leading up to the time of Jesus. Fear is a distinctive part of the Christmas story. You read through the Bible and what you find time and time again is something like this. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Fear has been the tone for these people for 400 years. And fear might be the tone that has been set for you in this holiday season. You might feel like you've been living in the shadow of fear. And if that describes you, I want you to hear these words that are repeated as often as any other words in Scripture. Do not be afraid. And here's why. He says, Zechariah, your prayer has been answered. Now at this point, 
Zachariah's got to be thinking to himself, well, exactly what prayer has been answered? Because I've been in here praying lots of prayers. Are you, are you talking about the one with the Messiah? Is that the one that's going to be answered? That's the one I just prayed. The angel keeps going. Zechariah, your prayer has been answered. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now the person to whom the angel is referring is John the Baptist. And that's, that's the person about these, that these verses are really about. And I read a whole lot there. I realize that there's a whole lot. I did that on purpose. Um, I read a lot of words, but I think what Zechariah heard, I'm pretty, sh- pretty sure all Zechariah heard was, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. I, th- I don't think he heard anything after that, right? Like the angel keeps going. angel has all kinds of flowery stuff to say about this son that's going to be born. I think Zechariah's mind got stuck on Elizabeth is going to have a baby. Meanwhile, the angel's just ranting on. That prayer, God? You're going to answer that prayer? God, I haven't even prayed that prayer in so long. I forgot all about that. I mean, we've moved way on past that. I gave that dream up a long, long time ago. And now God is going to answer that? This was about as unexpected as it gets. A baby is going to be born in an unexpected way in an unexpected time, to unexpected people, in an unexpected place, and he will do some pretty unexpected things. And his name is going to be John. And he will be the one who prepares the way for another baby that will come, and that baby is going to be born in really unexpected ways, at a really unexpected time, and he will do incredibly unexpected things. And his name will be Jesus. And Zechariah just can't believe it. So he does what a lot of us do when something happens that we don't believe or we don't expect. When we're told that something's going to happen and we don't think it can happen or we don't expect it to happen. When, when we get told something's going to happen, we go, how? Abraham focuses on the how. Instead of focusing on the who. Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Now at this point, Zechariah is giving this angel a biology lesson, right? Like, dude, you don't understand. This can't happen. We're old. Old I don't know if you're from earth, but old people don't have babies down here. Let me tell you, son, I know you're an angel and stuff, but ain't happening. Ain't happening. I'm really old, my wife's really old, and people down here don't have babies. Now, Zechariah is a servant of God, and he knows as well as anybody that the roots of the Hebrew faith go all the way back to Abraham and Sarah, who had a baby late in life, way later than they should have. Zechariah had heard all the stories. 
But he doesn't really believe that God could do something like that for him in his life. It might happen for somebody else. Not for me. Maybe Zechariah was heard to say something very similar to what you might have even been saying, even possibly as you walked in this morning. God, I believe you can do miraculous things in the lives of other people out there. I just don't think that you would do that kind of stuff for me. It's quite possible that you're here this morning and what I just described is I just described you. You believe God can do miraculous things. You're on board with that. You believe he can do challenging things. You just don't believe that he would do them for you. We pray a lot of prayers, don't we? We pray a lot of prayers for other people. We ask for miraculous things for other people. Somehow we don't think that we should pray those prayers for us. And a big part of that, I think, is that we just get to a place where we think God doesn't care. And it's just too painful. It's too painful to pray the same prayer over and over again and to not have any answer. So instead of praying prayers for us, we just kind of pray prayers for everybody else and we move on about our day. So here's the question for you this morning. What prayers have you stopped praying? The prayer that you used to pray, hoping God would do something about it, but you gave up on that a long time ago and you said, you know what, I, I'm just not going to do that anymore. You used to pray it. God, I, I want him to stop drinking. I want her to be faithful. Please bring him home. God, please make the depression go away. Father, please take this temptation away from me. What is it that you've stopped praying for? Zechariah doesn't want to get his hopes up, so he focuses on how. That's what we do. We focus on how, because we don't want to get our, our hopes too elevated. And the angel is kind of offended. Look at verse 19. Then the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. Like, hey, I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. In other words, do, do you know who I am? You go into the temple, you burn your little incense, you pray a few prayers, and you think that's a big deal for you, and you think you're really spiritual. I stand in the presence of Almighty God, the maker and the creator and the sustainer of the universe, and you think it's difficult for him to make one baby? I've been, I've been sent here to share this good news with you. You should be laughing. You should be dancing. Maybe you should be crying. You should be doing anything other than what you're doing right now, which is doubting while standing in the presence of an angel. Think about it. The human capacity for doubt is huge, isn't it? We're good at it. And we do it mainly because we get skeptical because we don't want to get our hopes up. We don't want to look foolish. I'm not really all that afraid of dying, but I'm scared to death of looking foolish. 
It's amazing all the stuff we do in an effort, either consciously or subconsciously, to protect ourselves from getting hurt. We, we just don't want to be disappointed again. And one of the best ways to, to not be disappointed is to just not allow yourself to hope. And so you just kind of shove that down and you don't really talk about it and you, you just kind of put it off in the corner somewhere. But here's the problem with that. The problem with living without hope is it's really not living at all. That, that's just existing. That's all you're doing. And I'm here to tell you, you really were made for more than that. You know how sometimes when you hear big news or a, a big story and you just, you kind of need a little time to absorb it all? You know, it just seems overwhelming and, and just too much to absorb and you just need some time. Well, that's kind of where Zechariah was and, and he's about to be given some time. Look at verse 20. And now you will be silent. He's like, okay, Zechariah, you've been talking enough. I, I got the biology lesson which just proves that you need to shut up. Now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And I just want to stop for just a minute. If you've got a pen in your hand, you might circle the words appointed time because you see these words or some semblance of these words all through the scriptures God is not bound by time or space. He can do anything he wants, however he wants to do it. Doesn't he, it's not constricted by time and space. But he knows that we are. And so he communicates to us in ways to let us know there's a, an appointed time. You, you see it in Scripture a lot. In the fullness of time. God, God is, is a, a God who is on time. May not be your time, but he's on time. Zachariah, since you are, aren't really on board with what I'm saying uh, and you're so eager to speak, I'll tell you what, we're going to fix that so that you can't speak. And you're just going to have to listen for a while. <laughs> That's sweet. <clears throat> That's sweet. It's always better to listen more and talk less, isn't it? It's always better. My grandmama taught me that. She was right. But it's especially good to do that when God is delivering good news to you. You ever heard that phrase, don't look a gift horse in the mouth? You heard that phrase? You know where that comes from? Some of you probably know this, for the ones that don't know. Um, it's, you, know you, tell, you can tell the age of a horse by its teeth. So a lot of times when they're inspecting a horse, they'll peel the lip up and they'll look at the teeth and figure out, you know, about how old it is. And you can tell a lot about the health of it just by looking at, at that. And so um, back in the day when they used to trade horses or if someone was going to give you a horse as a gift, you know, it would have been incredibly insulting if they give you this horse and you walk over and you peel the lip up and you look inside to count the teeth to see how old it is, as if you're kind of inspecting the gift. And so the term is don't look a gift horse in the mouth. It's an insult. It's an insult. You don't, don't do that. Wait till you get to your house before you start inspecting the teeth, right? When you're looking a gift horse in the mouth, you're skeptical of a good gift. 
And that's what Zechariah was doing. And now he's going to have about nine months to think about all this. Some parents put their kids in timeout. God kind of puts Zechariah in timeout. Verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zach. Keep in mind, these worshipers are outside the temple. All this has been going on. He's been having this conversation with this angel inside the temple where he's supposed to be burning incense. It's not supposed to take that long. You go in there, you burn some incense, say a few prayers, you come out, and the people see you, and it's like, okay, things are going on schedule the way they're supposed to go. That's not how this went. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. Like, where is he? Did he, I mean, did he die? What's, what are we going to do? When he came out, he could not speak to them. You think the Bible doesn't have a sense of humor? This is funny. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. I don't know what those, that sign language looked like, but that had to be funny, right? He's trying to get them to understand what this angel, first of all, that he even saw an angel. And then what the angel told him, can you imagine the sign language for that? And now he's going to have to stick around for about another week and finish out his priestly duties. And then he's going to go home to his wife, Elizabeth, and he's going to explain all this to her. Verse 23, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant. And this is an interesting phrase. And for five months remained in seclusion. Now, why did she do that? I'm not really sure why she does that. It might be, like us, that she's trying not to get her hopes up. I don't, don't want to get my hopes up. I'm afraid I'll get hurt. Or maybe she doesn't want to get the hopes of others up, and so she's just trying to keep it quiet. It could be that she was in such shock that she's just, she needs four or five months to just absorb what's happening, and she, no question, her body's changing. Something's going on in here, and I can't explain this. She might have been embarrassed. But here's the theory. You know when you were a kid and, and time just moves so slowly, one of the th- where has 2019 gone? Anybody else feel that way? Where did November go, for crying out loud? But when you're little, it doesn't happen that way. At least not for me when I was little. Um, I loved summertime. And, and the, the summer always went fast. Everything else for me seemed to go slow. I hated August because that just meant school was going to start back and I couldn't stand going to school. And then fall weather would show up. You know, all you people that go, oh, I just, I just love fall. <laughs> well, I hate fall because it just means I'm going to be wearing a coat soon. That's all that means. Oh, I just love all the pretty colors. It just means those leaves are dying. That's all that means, right? Like there ain't anything good. That's all signaling bad stuff is coming our way. So as a little kid, you know, you just, you, you just drag your way through school in November, and it's like, when is Thanksgiving break going to get here? That was fun. But then as a little boy, I got to go back to school for three weeks, and I'm wanting Santa Claus to come, right? So I'm marking, I'm, I'm just, you know, we had those calendar things that, that used to have, and I would mark the calendar, and I'd play all those kind of games. And I'm like, oh, it's only, it's only the 15th of December. It's taken forever. And then thanks, or, uh, Christmas Eve would happen, and, and I don't know how that was for you, but for me, that meant a trip to my Nana and Papa's 
And it was kind of okay, but really that Christmas Eve was really more about me watching my parents have fun with their friends and their relatives, right? Like they sat around and talked and, and had a great time and, and um, somebody was usually overserved, and that was always entertaining. But, but that, you know, I was like, okay, when are we going to, come on Christmas Day, Chris, come on. And mom would put us in the car and we would go to my grandmother's house and Santa would come to grandma's. I never could quite figure out how he knew that we're, that's where we were going to be, but he, he knew. And, and so she would put us to bed and I was like, okay, I got to get to sleep so I can wake up and it'll be Christmas Day. You know, and it just took forever. And it just seemed like when I was little, it, it, time passed so slow. Here's the thing. The older you get, the more accustomed you become, at least for me anyway, the more accustomed I've, and, and I'm comfortable with it, with waiting. I can, I can wait. As I get older, I can wait. Elizabeth is really old now. She's been waiting a long time for this. In fact, she probably had given up all hope that she would ever really get what she wanted, and now it, there's no question her body tells her something's going on, and I think it's possible that she just wants to savor every single minute. I think she doesn't want to miss any part of this, and she's just going to take her time and soak it in, and she's going to focus on what God has done and is doing in her body and in her life. Verse 25, she says, the Lord has done this for me. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. The Lord has done this for me. God actually cares about my long forgotten prayer. All those nights of weeping and pleading when she thought God was ignoring her. No, God was up to something. Christmas is the announcement that in the midst of your fears, your pain, your hopelessness, your doubt, God hears you. Christmas is the announcement that God hears you. All the big prayers, all the small prayers, and all the prayers in between, Christmas is the announcement that in the midst of what we might feel is a long, dark silent night that you don't have to walk in disgrace. You can walk in grace. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about grace. An undeserved gift that brings unexpected levels of joy. It's the kind of thing that can make us old and skeptical when we pray prayers and they don't get answered. It can make us skeptical. It can make an old man skeptical. It's the kind of thing that can make a man sing when the prayers come true. Zechariah is so full of it, he, he sings. He hadn't been able to speak for a long time, finally is allowed to speak. He's got a lot to say. And he sings a song here, and I want to read this to you from the message. This is from the message translation. Through the heartfelt mercies of our God, God's sunrise will break in upon us, shining on those in the darkness those sitting in the shadow of death, then showing us the way one foot at a time down the path to peace. No doubt 
somebody walked in here this morning and that describes you. You feel like you are sitting in the shadow of death. All hope has left for you. In fact, I talked to enough of you to know that it's not uncommon for somebody to just almost drag themselves in here from time to time because they've just gotten to the place where they just, it's, it's all they can do to put one foot in front of the other. They're just about ready to throw their hands up and give up. God's sunrise will break in upon us, shining on those in the darkness, those sitting in the shadow of death, then showing us the way one foot at a time down the path to peace. When you're in that place, there's always two things you can do. One, keep praying. Keep praying. Don't stop praying. Keep talking to God. Number two, keep obeying. Keep doing the things God says to do. Do what God says. It's really tempting to stop doing both. And a lot of people these days have done just that. They've quit praying. They've quit obeying. They've stopped going to church. I've had enough. I'm not doing it anymore. Don't be that person. It can be really tempting to just get angry and frustrated and throw in the towel and ask yourself, what is the point If that describes about where you are this morning, just let me tell you, we've all been there. Elizabeth and Zechariah were there. The nation of Israel was there. And then in the most unexpected way, in the most unexpected time, the silence of the night was pierced with the cries of an infant. A newborn, a child on whom all the hopes in the world would rely. There's a big difference between wishful thinking and hope. Wishful thinking isn't founded upon anything. Hope is. You know, you may have heard this passage, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, out of the NIV or the King James or one of those. I want you to hear it from the message. It just says it so well. The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors, set them above the crowd. Race is something that Noah Carver is no stranger to. Left hand up. The 12-year-old has been running cross-country in the Jonesport Beals district since kindergarten. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Cool because he can't see where he's going, which makes strategy extremely important for the blind sixth grader. Long strides, keep a good pace, mm-hmm. and gun it once you get to the end. Nice stride, that's all you can do. Noah's secret weapon. Okay, here we go, a boy. His dad, Buzz, who's been his eyes for every single meet this year. Good pace. Guiding his son around turns and over changes in terrain. 10 feet, three, two, one, on the tire. Our goal is to beat the previous week's time. That's our and if we come in last and, and uh, beat the week's time, that's great. Um, but he's never come in last yet, so okay, here we go. Buzz comes in early from working on his lobster boat to help Noah at both meets and weekly practices. Got it. Pushing his son to reach his best times. On your toes. And giving him the words of encouragement that help make it happen. Good job, Noah. 
You're doing awesome. He's basically serving as my eyes and guiding me along. Um, whereas I'm setting the pace and everything else. On tar, on tar. Buzz doesn't think about meets or finishes as his own times. To him, it's about the young man holding his hand. Here we go. It wouldn't be any different, wouldn't be any different if he was sighted. I wouldn't be any prouder of him. I mean, it's just the way it is. Where's the finish? Every mile and a half ends the same way it started. Three, two, one, done. With Noah pushing himself to be the best he can. <laughs> 13 minutes and 31 seconds of father-son time. You don't have to see the next step. You don't have to see tomorrow. You just got to hang on to the one who's hanging on to you. Keep praying. Keep obeying. God hears you. He hears you. Let's pray. Father, over this family, I pray. Some have come in here today under a weight. And they've just about had it. And they are tempted to throw their hands up and say, God is not listening to me. And he will not help me. And I can't do this. And I pray, Father, that you will speak to them in ways that I can't. And you will get them convinced that you are listening and that they need to keep praying and they need to keep obeying that you hear them. This is a difficult world we live in and we are tempted at every turn to disbelief. And so, Father, I pray for the one who came in here just hanging on by a thread that you would bolster them that you would send people around them to lift them up and Father I pray that you would answer some of those prayers because they need it Father may we be your light this Christmas season may we be the ones who carry grace to people who need it to people who are about to give up We want to be your hands and your feet, Lord, in this time. You will give us the opportunities, I have no doubt. I pray that we will recognize them, and I pray that we will make you proud when it's our turn. So, Father, we give you ourselves in this most blessed time of year. We're so thankful. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus.